Um, this is a, this is a, some combination. This is a sort of intersection of a sweet, what I consider a sweet story and an interesting aviation story. So, um, you guys know that I'm a baseball fan. I love baseball, and, and particularly I love the Boston Red Sox. But this is not no. a Red Sox story. Really? I'm shocked to learn this. I, I know you are. I'll have to are. factor this into my planning. I know you are. So uh, this is not a Red Sox story. This is a gen- this is a Major League Baseball story. About a week and a half ago, Major League Baseball held a um, sort of a, a an exhibition. Well, it, it was more than an exhibition game, which is relevant. It, it was a real regular season game, but it was a special game because what they did was they built a Major League Baseball ballpark right next to the Field of Dreams field in Iowa from the famous movie Field of Dreams with Kevin Costner and 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 Darth Vader and 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 those guys okay um I'm sorry I'm playing what's his name I'm blanking on his name um, I know who but, you're talking about yeah so so major league baseball and this was planned like for 2 years ago it was going to happen and then the pandemic happened so they had to postpone it all right but they finally held it about a week and a half ago and it was really if you're a baseball fan it was very heartwarming it was really it was done pretty well. It was, and, and it was a great game. That didn't hurt. That you know, this, these things can live or die by whether or not it's a good game. You know, whether and, one and, team and it's up. sold out, if I remember. Correctly. Yeah. Well, it sold out, but it wasn't. They didn't have a very big. They didn't have an awful lot of seats, um, uh, and they were, but they were pretty high high priced. And apparently, they were being scalped for huge ticket prices. But yeah, it sold out. Um, and, uh, and it was quite a thing. Um, and, and I, I enjoyed it. It was obviously it was on TV. I watched it on TV. I watched the yeah. game. I watched the whole experience. It, it was a lot of fun. It was a really nice little moment in baseball, you know, baseball, for those of us who love baseball. Here's the part that's aviation related. Somewhere in the midst of the game, I forget what inning, all right, but um, the game was underway. It was, we were in the midst of the game, and all of a sudden, out beyond the outfield, out beyond the left field fence, a hot air balloon drifts by. Uh-huh. Like right there. No, uh-huh. I mean, like, and, and I've given you guys some links to some pictures yeah, so you can I see, see. it was, it was pretty close. All right. You know, and, um, and the, and the announcers made like, this was unexpected. Um, they go, Oh, look, you know, here's the thing, you know, and that's really interesting. And, um, they were actually, um, unrelated to the balloon story. They were actually flying drones on cameras, um, or cameras on drones. Um, they had some really interesting shots of the ballpark during the scene. And one, and this one of the drones went out and like flew circles around this balloon to get, some right. More I see that picture. I see an image still, see yeah. still from that. That's very cool. Picturesque uh, shots. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, it was just kind of, it, you know, and so it was, like an interesting little moment. Um, I'm still of two minds as to whether or not the TV people planned this. I haven't heard any stories one way or the other. Um, I, I find it, I don't know. I am actually inclined to believe that they didn't plan it because they would have done it a little bit better if they had planned it. Um, but so, so the balloon want drop drifts by very close to the ballpark and Mike, and I immediately going, wow, is, did this guy just bust the TFR? All right. Um, because he's like very, very close. And, you know, I mean, balloons get to be low to the ground. That's okay. But nevertheless, I'm thinking there's a TFR. You can't just do that. What's going on here? Um, are you sure and, there was a TFR? Well, and I'm actually come to the conclusion now that there apparently was no TFR, which yeah. is sort of part of my, my question here. I, I was under the impression that, that in this day and age, every major league sporting event has a TFR. Is that no longer the case? Have they toned that down since, uh, you know, whatever? It's the, the criteria is written a little bit differently. Yeah. I think it's more to do with uh, an assemblage of persons for any 
um, <clears throat> event, an out, outdoor event uh, or whatever that uh, is, is accommodates more than 30,000 people. Oh, okay. And it well, clearly wasn't 30, weren't 30,000 people no. here at this game. No. But I mean, my, my quick answer is go read the TFR or go read the statute or regulation or whatever the hell it is. Cause right. that, that's something that came about, um, in the aftermath of nine 11, obviously, mm-hmm. and is part of, um, that mishmash of, uh, of TFRs and, and NOTAMs and, and regs like that. Um, go, go do a flight right. service briefing and pull up the NOTAM. Well, yeah, I mean, do these things, are they uh, even, this is like almost two weeks ago. Would these still be on available? I, I, TFRs, some, even if a TFR would, existed. You, yeah. If there's a NOTAM, there's, there should be, it should still be out there uh, for that period of time. Uh, if you go, if you go to the right place and search the right stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, I don't, my skills at searching these things are not strong. So I couldn't find a TFR at the moment I looked for a TFR. And I I'm sure there it. wasn't a TFR. I'm, I'm, yeah. at least and, I'm pretty sure there wasn't a TFR. Yeah. And, and, and likewise, a lot of people on Twitter were talking about this and, and there was, you know, there were other aviation folks who were talking about this and, and the consensus on Twitter was that, yeah, there was no TFR. Um, and, uh, but, uh, I don't know. It was, it was it, I can't, I don't know what to make of it. It was, you know, it was, it was very picturesque. I mean, it almost makes me wonder why this doesn't happen more often now as to my next you know, question. Right. I, I suppose there are TFRs among, around most baseball games. I'd be willing to bet. And, and NASCAR races and, and, and right. things like that. Yeah. NFL yeah. games, right. Disneyland, right. Disney world. Yeah. Disneyland is a statutory Disney world, Disneyland are statutory. They're, they're right. written to legislation by Disney's lobbyists. Right. Right. But um, the rest of it is starts starts with a policy, and then it's implemented uh, either by NOTAM and or regulation, um, and and then the, the TFRs, of course, are, are promulgated. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, going into from here, going up to uh, Whitted Airport in St. Petersburg, Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very near where the Rays play or used to play. Yep. I think they still play there. They still do, yeah. And and if you read the notum, um, the uh, yeah the t- TFR exists, and you're not supposed to be there unless you're talking to ATC. Yeah, right. And operating yeah. on, a, on, I think, on, probably on a discrete squawk. Um, and you got to talk to ATC, the control tower, who had to land there. So it's all nice and legal uh, and safe. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can you can come and go f- from these it's, w- in within these TFRs, you know, as long as you're talking to ATC. Right, right. The other thing about this balloon thing um, in Iowa was uh, it's a test. To, what's the word? Testament. It's a it's a compliment to the balloon operators. Yeah, you think of balloons as being totally at the mercy of the wind. All right, and to some extent they are. All right, um, whether or not there was a TFR, it they would have busted some reg if they had managed to fly overhead this ballpark. Yes. Yes. Um, well, it depends on what, at what altitude. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that would have been, that would have been the, 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 the solution, right? You know, if the, if the balloon operator realized that they were going to fly right over the air, over the uh, ballpark, then they would just gain height and, and get high enough to not be a, a you know, problem. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, he managed to make this balloon drift right by the outfield. It was very picturesque. He got yeah. himself on national TV and, uh, um, you know, yeah, 
Yeah, my, my experience with my very, very, very limited experience with hot air balloons is that um, their pilots are generally very aware of the wind and especially oh, yeah. the wind direction, how it changes with altitude. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that's, that's something that happens relatively close to the ground. Um, so they can, can navigate in ways that a fixed wing or, or a powered aircraft pilot um, doesn't really grasp at first. No, I agreed. Agreed. I remember, and I can't imagine I haven't told this story on the podcast, but the, so I used to hang out at an airport um, when I was in California. There was an airport, I'm blanking on the name of it, um, just to the west. It was just out on the edge, the the western edge of the California Central Valley, um, just to the east of the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and, uh, and on, on, on certain mornings, and there was, I think we were doing a fly-in out there, or maybe it was a Young Eagles thing, or there, but there was some sort of event activity going on. And one component of it was that the hot air balloons were flying in the, that morning, all right? Um, right across the street from this airport is a quarry where they had been, they basically dug a big hole in the ground, all right? And the balloon folks were able to launch off the airport, drift across the street, and actually sink into the quarry. So, I mean, I was like standing just inside the airport fence watching these things fly. And they went across the street and then just disappeared from my sight because they just went down below ground level, all right, and then managed to do what they did in the, in the, uh, in the quarry and then rise up on the far side and continue whatever it was they were doing. But, uh, yeah, they, they, these, these balloon folks know what they're doing. And uh, Well, the successful they, ones do anyway. <laughs> well, okay, I'm sure most all of them are successful. But uh, anyways, all right. Okay, well, there we go. Field of Dreams with with a hot air balloon, um, you know. If you inflate I, I saw, it, they I saw will video. Come, right? I saw a video yeah. of, of Kevin Costner walking out of the cornfield. I was a, it, okay. But I, yes. didn't, I didn't. I didn't see anything else about the game. I, I, again, if you're of the of a particular mindset like I am, um, it was a pretty freaking magical thing, you know. And uh, I have mixed feelings about Kevin Costner. He is. He did. He was instrumental in the two two of the, if not the greatest baseball movies of all time. Yeah. But some yeah. of the other things he's done has left me cold over the years, and so yeah. No, I. Um, I mean, there, there's listening other to stuff him talk, he's done. Yeah. yeah, listening to him talk on that telecast that night, he, his his head's in the right place, or at least he says the right things. And there was a magical moment when the teams, the not only Kevin Costner, but he was then followed by the two teams. It was the New York Yankees and the uh, Detroit Tigers, I believe. No, no, I'm sorry, uh, Chicago White Sox. Oh my gosh, I'm very sorry to my baseball friends. Yeah. Chicago White Sox um, and the uh, and the uh, New York Yankees, and and they followed him out of the corn, just like from the movie. It was really, you know, uh, okay. yeah, it was very. Specific. Uh, very, very, you know, make your heart beat faster, bring a little tear to your eye kind of thing if you're a baseball guy. And I am. And I, well, there's, and it there's did. And I don't say this uh, to be critical. It's just an observation. To be a baseball fan, you have to be nostalgic. I don't know what that means exactly. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it roll right off my back. I'm going I understand. To let it roll I mean, right I, off my back. You know, I, just an observation. It's not a critique. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. And soon to be your next uh, uh, Major League Baseball podcast. 
Yeah, I've thought about it for, believe me, I've thought about it over the years, but haven't done it. Um, uh, I, and I, so yes, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm coming to you from, uh, from, uh, uh, Red Sox Nation, uh, here on the <laughs> banks of the Cochico River in, uh, in uh, Dover, New Hampshire. And, uh, uh, just kind of keeping busy up here. It's uh, tail end of summer. It's late August. And uh, did you get um, any rain? Uh, we did. We got the the, the the quote unquote hurricane had fizzled completely by the time it arrived here. We did manage to get about two inches of rain over a two day period, which is not a lot by Florida standards, I know, but is a fair amount by our standards. It's way less than the than the that forecast thought we might get, and uh, and there was basically no wind. So the, so the hurricane. Henri, or Hurricane Henri, Henri. Um, on was uh, um, it got a, it was a little worse down on the southern coast of uh, of New England, down in the Connecticut and Rhode Island coast. They, they, they it was still a pretty weak hurricane by the time it arrived there, but uh, yeah, um, they and then and then it kind of did this funny route where it went over over towards New York City almost, and uh, um, they got a lot of rain over in there, over in the sort of south western part of new england and into new york um before the thing kind of swooped around and then headed back across southern it almost followed the exact same course back it kind of like came on shore at the at the border between connecticut and rhode island it turned left it went almost west or sort of northwest um to the Hudson River, basically, then kind of lingered there for a few hours. Then it turned around and almost followed the exact same course back. But then when it got to the border of Connecticut and Rhode Island, instead of going back to the south, it just kept going straight and veered up over Cape Cod and then went out to the... Sounds like a student pilot to me. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. I guess that's what it is. Anyways, uh, so that's keeping me busy up here. Uh, I continue to uh, uh, try and produce for issues of my, uh, uh, my around the field newsletter the in the most recent issue of the around the field newsletter i wrote about oh wait a minute i guess truth be told i haven't written the most recent episode yet that's on my list for today Um, but by the time you hear this i I think i will have written it um i I wonder what i will have written about um i might write about a cool airport that you can fly to or an upcoming pancake breakfast at some cool hangar hopefully something like that anyways you can check out the current issue of the around the field newsletter and all the past issues at around the around the field.net it's the newsletter is free um, here, my uh, in our virtual hangar, talking to uh, my uh, two good friends, and uh, uh, David's awful quiet. I don't know. Maybe I should wake yeah. him up. David, David, wake up, David. You there? This is Dave Higdon from the air <laughs> from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. How you doing this morning, David? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, I think uh, we're going to duck a, a triple digit day today, which is. More than welcome. We've had enough of them already this month. Yeah. Yeah. This is not a new thing for you, at least in, in the last few years. You had a historic streak of, of 100-degree days, didn't you, a couple of years ago? Last year? It, I forget. N- yeah, a couple of years ago. And uh, and it, it, it was, uh, in, in a word, uncomfortable. Yeah, I bet. Too, I can only imagine. Or to put it as a biker buddy of mine to put it too damned hot to ride oh yeah 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 and yeah you're talking about motorcycle riding um, yeah and, and you know and and if the sun's out at the same time it's really dangerous because you know you can get faked into thinking you're not getting burned but you really are anyways what else is going on david you uh keeping busy uh actually above average busy for this time of year so uh we're happy about that we got a couple of things in the 
fire that's going to try to finish uh, uh, before end of business tomorrow. Uh, got a convention to get ready for, and uh, and then my yard guy's going to come by and make noise and make my grass shorter a little bit later. So uh, it's all in all an average day for days. Life is which life is life is full. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to cut this out, David, you, um, you seem to be drifting around your microphone, I, whatever distance you choose to be ideal, try to stay. in that's roughly that same position. It sounds like maybe you're kind of moving around a lot. Um, I, I got my head bobbing and weaving. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, like Sundance kid, I know you need to move on the other hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, but try and try and kind of be aware of the microphone so that you don't get, don't, don't, you know, remember a little bit of emotion movement can like double the distance from the microphone and doubling the distance from the microphone will make a big difference. You'll note it's very noticeable. So anyways, use caution. Just, just, just remember that we won't, we don't have money going down the hill. We're going to get the money at the bottom of the hill. We'll have the money on the way up the hill. Don't have to worry about going down the hill. Oh. No one's going to rob us because we don't have anything. It's another Butch Cassidy reference. I like it. Very good. Very good. Maybe I'll leave this in after all. Anyways, uh, my other good friend here in our virtual hangar is uh, from the uh, uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, where uh, where two inches of rain is really not that big a deal. But uh, anyways, we call it Thursday. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, is uh, Jeb Burnside? Good morning, Jeb. Good morning. How you doing? What's going on down there? Um, well, we're in the, thro- in the throes of. Uh, uh, starting to put together the October issue of safety yeah. uh, and um, trying to have some fun with that, get some stuff done, got uh, tackling some projects around the house, um, doing laundry, keeping up with the dishes, you know, that kind of just living my best life. Yeah, I know. Right. You know, before we pressed record, you were telling us about how you 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 use your wireless headphones to listen to your MP3 player while riding the the ride on lawnmower around your yard. You know, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's that's, you know, you can all maybe I don't know where I'm going to find that image, but maybe that's our our episode image this time. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What do you. Yeah. So are you working on anything fun? You uh, obviously working on the magazine and. uh, Yeah. Yeah, a couple of little things um, I'm not really prepared to talk about right now. But, uh, okay. You know, okay. Um, all my work's done except for the, you know, all my extra, all my extracurricular projects are done uh-huh. and, uh, on, and to the printer. So um, get through the, the next cycle of safety and I'll, I can take September off. I was reading one of your uh, um, one of your aviation safety uh, pieces uh, the other day, and uh, and I won't talk about the piece, but I will talk about your little little bio slug at the end here. What's this? <laughs> do, do journalists have a name for this? I, I and you've done variations it, on this before, it, but it's yeah. a it's a bio, yeah, yeah. And so what it says bio at the end slug. here, it says it says Jeb Burnside is this magazine's editor in chief. He's an airline transport pilot who owns a Beechcraft Debonair plus the expensive half of an Aronka LC. 16B champ, <laughs> expensive half. Okay, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that I, I get the feeling that that's a, that's a uh, an, an emotion that many airplane partners um, can feel, yeah. can, feel, can identify yeah. with. Yeah. You own the yeah. expensive half of the airplane. Um, anyways, all right. Well, what's going on here? Let's see now. I've now I've opened. Is there a list that we could refer to? There, there is a list. Stuff we want to so talk about. 
opened so many windows here. I've lost the list. Where'd it go? Here it is right here. Okay. So, uh, oh, you know what? So, um, one, uh, 172 versus drone. All right. And, uh, uh apparently the 172 won this time, but, uh, it was, uh, but not, a, not, without, not without, yeah, go, go ahead there. Yeah. Not without it, suffering visible damage. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so. This is we're looking at a story from uh, Abweb, um, one seventy two substantially damaged by police drone, and this is where the story gets particularly interesting. Um, and apparently, this was in Canada. I didn't. Is this Canada or I guess it's Buttonville, Canada. Yeah, Buttonville, Canada. Okay, so uh, outside Toronto. Um, I'm going to summarize the story. I read it a couple of days ago. Correct me if I'm getting this wrong. Um, so this 172 was motoring along. I want to say it was a, tri- a, a, a training flight, but whatever the flight was, yeah, instructor and student had just turned final for Buttonville, um, which is uh, in the northern part of Toronto. They're setting up to land. They felt a substantial jolt that moved them in their seats. They were about 500 feet AGL and a mile from the threshold. The landing was normal. And then when, and now I'm back to paraphrasing. When they got out of the airplane, they noticed, and we have a picture here, of a pretty significant dent in the bottom third of the left side of the engine cowling. And uh, with a bunch of scraping and stuff, and uh, yeah, missed all the big stuff, missed all the uh, important stuff, basically. And, and that's that's one aspect of the lucky part here, um, because you know. So it, it, they say the the uh, the instructor, the pilots on board, say that they thought at the time of the impact, and even from looking at it on the ground, they just assumed that this was a bird strike. Um, and, uh, they, they just sort of were proceeding as if it was a bird strike. Um, and, uh, and it was only a little bit later that the local police came forward and to their credit, they came forward and said, uh, no, that was our drone. All right. We were operating, doing some law enforcement stuff near the airport and, and you collided with our drone or, or our drone collided with you. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, crazy i don't know you know we, we we've known these things are going to happen and and uh, and and as we alluded a minute ago you know i mean if this drone had been you know three feet higher it might have hit the windscreen which could have had a very very different kind of of result uh, so i don't know yeah. you guys any thoughts yeah, on yeah this, if, it, if it but yeah. that big of a den in aluminum i can only imagine uh, that most of it would have gotten through the windscreen of the uh yeah. of, of the skyhawk and that Sharing airspace is one thing, but sharing your cabin airspace with another, that's beyond the pale. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, if, if this report is accurate, the, the police operator clearly ha- is at fault and clearly needs to get its act together. Yeah. Well, you know, and again, based on this report, um, they were at fault simply because they hadn't done the proper notifications. Yeah, they, now, weren't in not, con- they were in yeah. controlled airspace. They weren't in contact with, con- yeah. with controllers. Now, where it starts to get gray, um, and apparently even in Canada, in, uh, is whether or not law enforcement is required to follow these rules. Are they in the United States? Do you know? Technically? Yeah, yeah. No. technically, legally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether they do or not, that's another issue. Yeah, technically, no. Public aircraft are exempt. Well, well, I mean, from bloody everything except uh, airspace rules in Class B. You, you really can't go flirting around with that. Uh, but 
everything else, including pilot qualifications, uh, engine maintenance, uh, annual inspections, that's all at the option of the public aircraft operator. And over the years, we, as this has come up and, and, and gone by on numerous occasions, we learned that most public institutions that operate aircraft uh, believe in following the rules at least most of the time and do not want to make themselves a target of a uh, congressional action. Yeah. Yeah. They still need to also, I think, comply with ATC. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the U S in, yeah. in respect to airspace, at least in the U S. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, so yeah. yeah. The, uh, let's see now, part of the last graph of the story, um, CADORS, C-A-D-O-R-S is the acronym, Canada's uh, Civil Aviation Daily Occurrence Reporting System. It sounds like our, um, the, um, you know, that what's the reporting system that NASA runs in the U.S.? ASRS. Uh, yeah. In any event, um, it's... Uh, the KDOR, I'm going to say KDORS, I'm sorry if that's wrong. KDORS report classifies the accident as a, quote, unauthorized entry, end quote, to controlled airspace. It's also noted that NAV Canada, the air traffic control provider, was not aware of the drone activity in the area. I'm reading from the story here, by the way. Yeah. Um, in Canada, drones are banned within three nautical miles of uncontrolled airports and restricted to 400 feet AGL without special authorization. To fly in the controlled airspace the drone and the aircraft were in, Nav Canada has to approve it, and the drone pilot must be in radio contact with controllers. The police department has not commented any further on the mishap, except to say that the drone was part of a police operation in the area. Well, that justifies the whole thing. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, they, they they screwed up. So at the very least, they're going to be very, you know, circumspect. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, it was know, an undercover this, drone. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, to the, the takeaway to me from this story that is, is that is that this is real. This can happen. We need to be really careful. Yeah. And everybody needs to follow the rules. And, and we need to make sure the rules are, are, are adequate um, because... Uh- Another takeaway is if you're a criminal and you don't want to be surveilled by a drone, move close to an airport. Yeah, well, okay. Maybe there's some of that there. Uh, what's next here? Uh, Sonic Boom. Did you hear about this? Bad, bad, no pun intended. All right. I meant to call, I meant to send an email to Dick Nepinski, our pal, who the communications director at EAA, to ask him whether or not this is real. But it looks pretty, pretty plausible. Okay. Came across a video. Um, from AirVenture 2021, the a couple weeks ago, uh, a, a young woman was um, shooting a segment from your basic YouTube, you know, airplane video. Um, she was in the cockpit of an airplane on the ground at at Whitman Field there during. It was apparently Thursday of AirVenture week, so things were going on, and she's doing her little talk to the camera bit, and then all of a sudden, there's a really in, a, a pop, more than a pop, a boom, a bang, all right, bang, all right, and her hair actually got blown. You could see the air, the wind at the same time as the bang blew her hair, uh, you know, astray for a moment, all right, and she was shook and and you know she kind of laughed in nervously and and then she continued with her thing, and the and the uh, the general consensus here is that um, a fighter plane doing a flyby um, over the over the grounds uh, inadvertently uh, exceeded the the speed the speed of sound and and made a sonic boom does that seem plausible to you guys oh yeah 
<laughs> yeah. have you guys watched this video and I, I i would i would i would grant you a couple seconds to actually not only watch the video but turn on the sound um and uh but uh i i wasn't i don't i've never heard a you know there, there are many times when people post pictures there's a there's a particular thing with, with where this what condensation mist forms on the top of a wing and people mistakenly will call that breaking the sound barrier all right um but it's not it's nothing like that, um, no, but it's not. this this seems very plausibly to have been an actual sonic boom during a flyby at Air Venture, um, and uh, wow, <laughs> I don't know, wow. Um, Do we know when, what day, what time that this was recorded? Um, it may be in the in the description of that video. Um, I, I I think it was Thursday afternoon, but prior to the air show. Like maybe during the showcase, just prior to the air show, or something like that. Um, yeah, okay. There's a comment uh, a partway down by a commenter called Von Drotti. Um, Von Drotti. Does that mean something? Is that a dirty word that they've just tricked me into saying? Um, uh, this was on Thursday at the he. This person, Von, assuming Von is a he, uh, uh. was on Thursday at the end of the Legends of the Air Force formation. Um, the other uh, aircraft were landing, uh, and then the F-16 did one last flyby. It was right in front of me. This commenter writes, uh, we were only feet away from the edge of the spectator line. Wow, three exclamation points. It was like a double boom. I looked at my friend next to me in unbelief. We thought maybe it was pyrotechnics, but after a little debating and reasoning, we concluded that the F-16 did hit the magic boom. That's one commenter to this uh, to this piece. Anyways, I'm going to reach out to uh, Dick and ask him um, if he knows anything about this and if they have any any uh, backstory. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, to learn um, who's <coughs> excuse me who's F-16 it was. I mean, right. squad, oh. squadron and like that. Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, and how much trouble they got in? No, uh, they didn't get in trouble. They they yeah. drank free for a week. <laughs> You think? I suppose oh, that oh, is yeah. a possibility. Yeah. I suppose that is a possibility. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've never. Have either of you ever been the the? I don't know what the right word would be. Witnessed personally, witnessed a sonic boom. I haven't. Um, I used to hear them all the time back I, in the sixties. Well, I guess maybe I might have heard them back then, but uh, um, you know, and and, and you know. I, I don't know how I don't know how to characterize this. It was, you know, I mean, I get the feeling that that this was a. So, our, here's my question. I guess here's one question: Is sonic boom a, a, a linear thing? It's like if you're going just a little bit above the speed of sound, it's a little sonic boom. But if you're going a lot above the speed of sound, it's a bigger sonic boom. Is that how this works? Not that I'm aware of. Really? So a boom is a boom, whether you're going Mach 1.01 or Mach, point th- Mark th- Mach 3. Uh, it's got to be bigger. It's got to be bigger because it's an air pressure thing, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's pushing air in a, in a dramatic way. It's right? a shame we don't have some device yeah, that's that right. we can use to access yeah. some vast network of information that can answer I know. this question. And we would look it up and interpret it all wrong. And uh, you know, we're going to hear from a listener. Let's, let's leave it at this. Unless David wants to finish his thought, which I interrupted him. Um, let's let the listeners weigh in, and I will also reach out to, uh, to EAA and ask them if, if they have anything they want to say about this. Um, but uh, it was cool. It was cool. And uh, um, 
And I got introduced to this young woman's uh, uh, YouTube channel. She's doing some interesting things um, at a very, very interesting airport down there in uh, in Georgia. Um, um, not f- sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, she has posted some videos of a, of a fly-in that they do down there. And uh, it sounds like a really cool little grassroots airport that she's involved with. So anyways, uh, any last thoughts about the Sonic Boom or should we move on? Well, the only thing I would say is, you know, generally when I'm tooling around, I'm only doing Mach point uh, two five, so yeah. I'm probably not going to be able to to do to to make that kind of noise. Oh, I can do it once. Let's put it out. Do it once, right? Yeah, I know. Do it once. Um, uh, if you like, I don't know how to segue this. Do not know how to do it. Uh, if you like what we're doing with this podcast, you could do a little symbolic sonic boom for us. You know, do a little flyby and make some noise. Or what you could do is support us with a financial donation. Um, as little as a few dollars a month really helps us to do this podcast. Uh, you can send individual donations to the UCAP tip jar via PayPal. Uh, thank you to uh, t- tip jar supporters Lyndon N and Michael S and Michael F and David W, as well as others. Um, or you can become an automatic monthly supporter via Patreon. Uh, thank you to some of our Patreon supporters, a uh, brand new Patreon supporter in the last couple of weeks, um, someone who goes by the name Benu, Benu, B-E-N-N-U, Benu. Thank you, Benu. Also, William H., Jonathan H., Jennifer H., Colin C., Patricia S., Grant P., Jan S., and many others. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon and by way of PayPal. You folks are the best. Thank you very much. For information on about providing automatic monthly support, check out patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace, or you can make a PayPal donation to the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And you can get all this information again by clicking the box in the right-hand column of the UCAP homepage. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thanks. Appreciate it. What's next here? Let's see. Now, I think there was another bit of podcast business I wanted to do, but I keep losing my place here. Where is the list? Right over here. Uh... Uh, yes, I wanted to ask a question. Uh, listeners, I would like the listeners to help us out with a, and, and it's more me because this is my, 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 my responsibility. Um, so for the past few years, websites across the internet have been converting over to be, all use HTTPS, um, which is a secure connection. It's an encrypted connection between your browser and whatever service you're using. All right. Um, And it's a very good thing if you're doing secure things like doing credit card transactions or any sort of confidential information or that kind of thing. And, and, and if you're doing that kind of stuff, you absolutely ought to, should, you know, uh, enable HTTPS. We have never enabled HTTPS on the uncontrolledairspace.com website um, because it didn't seem like a reasonable amount of work considering that we don't ask for any confidential information. We don't do passwords. We certainly don't collect credit card information on the site. Um, we don't do any of that stuff. And so I just seemed like I, I you know, it was unnecessary amount of work for what the website was. Recently, I've I'm starting to become convinced that there are reasons above and beyond passwords and credit card information that makes HTTPS a good thing. Um, I've heard a a number of different examples where it it can, it can um, protect against other sort of mischief that, that the bad guys on the web, the black hats, if you will, Um, quite frankly, the gray hats, um, internet service providers apparently will occasionally um, um, inject stuff into streams and, and HTTP, HTTPS will guard against that. So 
I'm now starting to wonder whether or not it's right time for us to add this to. It's not, unfortunately, it's not just checking a box. There's some work involved. There's some expense involved. Um, and so I would like to hear from our listeners um, whether or not the first, first of all, has the lack of HTTPS support on uncontrolledairspace.com caused anybody any problems? Because there are some browsers that are starting to get strict about enforcing this and warning you about it. And so I want to know if there's, an, if there's any annoyance or, or trouble um, for the fact that we're not secure at this point. Second of all, I would like to know from people who, you know, just kind of give me your way in on whether this is worth the effort. Should I do it? Or just still not worth the effort. Um, and finally, I would love to hear from those listeners out there who are genuinely knowledgeable about this stuff, who could educate me a little bit better about how it works and what the issues are and the ramifications and how it's, how to do it and just provide help. That would be very, very valuable to me. I'd appreciate that. So, uh, HTTPS secure website stuff. Um, please let us know. Let me know, uh, send emails to a jacket at, uh, uh, jacket uncontrolled airspace.com. And uh, let me know what you think. Do you guys know anything about this by any chance? I don't know whether you do. You might. I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I noticed the difference in the URL I'm looking at. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I have a an aftermarket um, antivirus and, and uh, uh, security app. Every now and then, will flash something at me. Uh, it, it's very sensitive. It seems to be very sensitive. Uh, well, more and more, sites. yes, yeah. more and more video, yeah. more and more, excuse me, more and more browsers are are getting more and more strict about this stuff um, yeah. to the point where there's rumors now. I've heard stories that there are browsers that in, in the somewhat near future are going to maybe even refuse to display a page that's not S secure, you know, um, and, and that, of course, would be the trigger. I mean, we would definitely turn it on then. But um, um, I, I just kind of want to know whether it's really whether it's causing anybody any troubles now. Everybody gets a warning. You may not realize that there's a little most every browser displays a little lock, a little padlock icon. Oh, yeah. It, and and yeah. every once in a while, I'll get a, uh, uh, a message when I'm trying to log into a site uh, that this site is not known to be secure. Yeah. Yep. Well, and uh, and I. Welcome to the world. Yeah. Well, but but doing the the HTTPS thing will makes it dramatically more secure. I acknowledge that. I just I just didn't want to go to the quite frankly didn't want to go to the effort if it was not really necessary. Um, so, listeners, let let us know how you feel about this, and uh, and we'll we'll do what we can do. Anyways. Um, let's see now at the end of the last episode, we alluded to, um, this weird video that had been out there for a while about this Indonesian airliner doing this, this very, very unstabilized approach to, a to a, a runway in, uh, in Indonesia, I believe, or, uh, and, uh, and how it, it turned out and, and it, from from the first video we all saw, it it, it looked to be a, a dramatically firm landing. I mean, like boom, hit hard. Okay, but then follow up videos we saw indicated that um, actually the the trailing edge of the of the wing dragged and, and caused damage to the to the uh, control surfaces. And I mean, it was like it was pretty hairy. I don't know if there's anything more we want to say about this. Have you guys watched these videos? I, I it almost I've amazes seen, me. That, I've seen some of them. 
Uh, yeah, I, it, it's kind of remarkable if you ask me that the first one even appeared because it was from in the cockpit. It was like from the jump seat of the. I think this was a seven. I want to say it was a seven thirty-seven. Seven thirty-seven. Yeah. Seven thirty-seven. So um, the first video, the initial video, was uh, probably a camera shot, camera video, or excuse me, a phone video from uh, from someone in in the, just behind the pilots, presumably a jump seat kind of thing, and uh, and and you can hear the pilots talking to each other, and you can hear the warnings going off you can hear the the uh you know the flight whatever it is systems going pull up pull up you know uh, you know i forget what they exactly were but it it was you know it was going hey hey wake up this is bad you shouldn't be doing this and the pilots are just flying and 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 someone says that you can hear one of the pilots presumably the pilot not flying say say at one point are we going to make it you know it's like whoa um and uh, and they get like you know they're like doing this great big weird you know uh, unstabilized s turn kind of arrival with you know getting very very steep um um you know bank angle at one point and um and then finally get lined up at the very last moment i mean really almost not lined up but just barely lined up and then they they touch down really hard i mean things get just thrown around the cockpit and and then later a video came up someone shot it from the ground and showed it coming in and from the ground it looks even scarier because like holy moly this airplane's like flying all over the place and banking and twisting and you know and then and then hits down hits hard and and then shots of the of the wing damage so uh yeah, when you hit hard enough to get negative flex in the in the wings, so basically go from uh, dihedral to anhedral uh, in, in the instance of the landing. Uh, if if it was my airplane, it, it would be in the shop for the uh, for the leprechaun to take a look at and make sure that nothing critical was uh, damaged or wrinkled inside the wing, mm-hmm. inside the tail surfaces. Back in the aft part of the fuselage, uh, I've been in turbulence that popped paint off rivet heads. So I, really? I, I kind of, okay. yeah, I kind of have a high degree of respect for the idea that uh, if you subject the aircraft to unusual forces, uh, have your AI take a look at it before you fly it again. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, did you see the pictures of the damage? It was good damage. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you're definitely not going to, I mean, I don't know. Considering how they were flying this airplane, maybe they did decide to fly it again, but I wouldn't think that would be I, pretty obvious. That yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a frame from the video and I'm looking at the damage to one of the uh, uh, flap actuator fairings on the underside yep. of the 737's left wing. Yep. And the trailing edge of this component is all chewed up. You can see scrape marks. You can see where it's been worn away. Did that happen on this landing? I didn't see that. Oh, well, that's an interesting observation. I mean, I didn't I don't see. Know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to play this again. I don't. I don't remember seeing. Let me find the right. You know, and I can't say for certain that I saw it either, but my, in my imagination, what happened was that the wing flexed downward very briefly, and, and it wasn't like a prolonged drag. It was just, um, but what are you seeing? Can you see it? It's, it's kind of far away. Yeah. You can see it. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah. It, it, the, the airplane is approaching left wing down. Yeah. Yeah. It was not. Yeah. It hits hard. Um, on the main gear and i guess that wing flex downward that far 
that's just incredible to me because that's, you know, several feet inboard. The wingtip got crunched, uh, but this this uh, flap actuator fairing is, uh, I don't know, 15 feet inboard from the wingtip? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, on, easy, on a 7 I don't know. Yeah. 20 feet, something like that. On and the other hand, just, it, it, it's just all crunched to hell. When the flaps are extended, though, it sticks way down low. So, I mean, it's... I it's, guess it's, so. And um, it's on the trailing edge of the flaps. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but none of this Christ. is to justify it. This was, this was a pretty no, no, I'm not saying that that's a good thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on. So, I, I I would think that maybe there's a couple of crew spots open. Uh, <laughs> you would think, area. but... I, I, it, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, uh, all right. David, any, any last thoughts there? Any time that you have so much energy imparted in a way that's not does not comport with how the the, the structure was designed. Uh, well, put it more simply, any contact between aluminum and runway surface, aluminum loses. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, check out the videos. Um, we'll put links in the show notes, and uh, you can probably find it if you do some searches. Well, if it could have made those pilots a half an inch shorter. <laughs> yeah. Or, 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 I don't know, there's another joke don't, in there someplace. I, there's there's yeah. so much going on with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, story. Here's my story. Uh, so back in the days when I lived in California, um, I've talked about uh, Palo Alto Airport, which is where I, I learned to fly, and that was my home base. I was also very, uh, during that period, I was very active in EAA Chapter 62, um, which was a builder chapter that was based at Reed Hillview Airport in San Jose. Uh, Reed Hillview Airport is a, 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 a very nice GA airport, um, two parallel runways. Uh, it's It's sort of up against the foothills of the coastal range there um, at the edge of the valley that some people call Silicon Valley or San Jose Valley or, or whatever. Um, it's about, uh, um, uh, I don't know, maybe five, 10 miles from San Jose International Airport. Uh, when Reed Hillview, and Reed Hill has a long history. It's been around for a long time. It's, uh, you know, it's like, um, it, it's quite an airport. Um, and and uh, it's always under threat. It's always under threat. Um, and just to give you the background here, when Reed Hillview was first created, like many airports in in, in these kinds of urban or, you know, urban-ish areas, it used to be farmland out there, all right? I mean, until relatively recently, until probably 30, well, 50 years ago, anyways, um, it was still farmland. But, um, the, but the valley has grown outwards and surrounded Reed Hillview Airport. And uh, even when I was back there, they were under a constant threat. Um, the, uh, the, the county... Um, leadership um, of uh, Santa Clara County supervisors have always disliked the airport and have for years been trying to close the airport. And and the airport has managed repeatedly to defend itself and remain open. Um, I, I remember back in the day, there were times because the county also operates the airport, which is kind of a real conflict situation. Um, and there have been periods where the county just stopped maintaining the non-FAA areas of the airport, like the taxiways and the hangar areas and things like that, um, trying to presumably trying to drive people away from the airport. But the airport managed to survive over and over again. It is once again, and perhaps for the worst 
in the worst instance ever under attack from the county supervisors again. Um, the county supervisors now are are using the um, the threat of leaded fuel poisoning um, as a as a lever um, that I think is kind of not a real thing, but they are. Um, so. Um, it's 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 in some ways it's a, the same old story, you know. In some ways, it's the Meeg story and it's the Santa Monica story, and and probably many others. Um, and 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 sadly, those stories didn't end well. And it may well be that this one's not going to end well. But I, I just wanted to kind of use our, our 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 little our little spotlight here to shine a light on what's going on out there. And if you're in the California area, certainly if you are a, a voter in this area. Um, <laughs> or if you have any clout at all out in the uh, uh, San Jose, Santa Clara County area to contact the county supervisors and tell them that you don't think this is a good idea. Um, there's, you know, it's, it's really, really in danger of finally once and for all getting shut down. Um, and uh, there's a real question of how much, how strongly the FAA will stand up for it again this time. They've done a pretty good job in the past, but well, they'd have to, they'd have to, uh, FAA would have to give consent to allow the uh, grant obligations to expire. Right. Right. And, but apparently the FAA uh, kind of, um, kind of, yeah, I don't know what the right word would be, but um, they let the Santa Monica airport problem get worse and worse recently. Um, it seemed to me that they've stopped defending the Santa Monica airport the way that they used to. And I fear that they're going to do the same thing here, but time will tell. Time um, will tell. Um, um it's a great airport. I, 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 you know, if you've ever operated in that area, it's a terrific reliever airport. It, it's exactly what aviation needs in that area, you know, because you've got the San Jose airport, which is just overwhelmed by, by its success as an airline airport. And you need the air, reliever airports in Palo Alto. Maybe will be the next one that's under threat, but yeah. also a reliever. Um, but Reed Hillview is it's, and it's a great airport, even if it wasn't a reliever to a bigger airport, it's just a nice airport with, with, with uh, training operations and a bunch of hangars and uh, in, in picturesque country, you know, um, and, uh, and two nice parallel runways with a tower. And um, it's just a great airport, you know, with a great community. Like I said, I was in, I, I've lost touch with that, that EAA chapter, but I kind of assume that it's still out there. So uh, um, I, I would urge people to do whatever you have in your power to try and help Reed Hillview because it's a great airport and, and it's, it's one of the next ones that's under, under siege. And uh, it's a shame. I'm sorry. I interrupted you guys. Any more thoughts on this or uh, I guess not. No, not really. Um, um, we'll see how, how, how interested the FAA is in, in, uh, in, um, yeah. How should I put this? The, um, historical application of its grant assurances. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, according anyways. to this article there, they, they're good until, uh, existing grant assurances are good till, um, 2031. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's my recollection is it's a 20 year commitment on the part of the airport sponsors. When they accept federal money, they have to, um, comply with those granting grant assurances. Right. And there's, you know, a as long couple, as the of, FAA... couple of handfuls of them. It, right. But unless or until the FAA releases them from those exactly. grant assurances. The FAA has to choose to enforce those. They have and, to. Uh, they have and to. They have. But, I, they, and they have. And they absolutely have. You know, I mean, and that's what has kept Reed Hillview safe for years, um, is that the FAA said, no, you can't shut the airport down. You took our money. Um, but times change. And, uh, okay. 
Anyways, all right. One last thing before we uh, reach the end of our allotted time here. Um, so I, this is a, a sort of a, of a uh, you know, I, and I think I know the answer to this question. I just kind of want to like get it out on this. Uh, so I was watching this video, this YouTube video recently. It's kind of a fun little YouTube video about a guy who was flying his airplane from Austin to Houston. There's, there's millions of these, these, you know, I went flying today videos and, and, and it's, I find them entertaining to watch the, the scenery and watch the procedures that they go through and, 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 you know, the airports that they land at and the answer to the question is no. Okay, well, let's come back to that. See, you're getting ahead of me. Don't give away the spoiler alert. Um, so anyways, at, uh, partway into this video, so he's flying from Austin, Texas to Houston, Texas, all right? Um, and Houston has a, a Bravo around it, okay? He's not going to the central airport in Houston. He's going to one that's just sort of I guess underneath or nearby the Bravo, but as he's fly, as he's motoring along, he mentions and he's and you actually I think he shows shows art from his his uh, from the maps and the charts um, that at some point it turns out that he's going to clip his flight. He's talking to flight following. All right throughout almost all of the flights talking to flight following. He's doing a very nice job. I have no complaint with what he's doing with his, with his, you know, whatever his procedures, his skills is whatever. Um, but he does mention when he's, he, and he shows it on the chart at a certain point, he's going to clip the edge of the Bravo. Right. Um, he's basically, as I recall from, he's going to, he's going to enter the side of the Bravo and pop out the bottom pretty quickly, not very long, but he's going to be in the Bravo. All right. And he says in the video, he's talking to the camera. All right. And he says that I'm, I'm going to clip the Bravo, but he said, I'm, I'm okay to go into the Bravo because I've been talking to ATC and that's what's required. And I suddenly sat up straight in my chair and I'm going, wait a minute. I don't think that's the rule. Uh, I, I think the rule is, you know, that, that's the rule. If you want to, if you're going to, bust a, a Charlie. Charlie is contact. Um, a Bravo is, and now I'm asking you guys, a Bravo requires explicit clearance, right? Yes. And and simply the fact that you're talking to ATC and they are watching what you're doing, that's still not explicit clearance. They've got to literally say the words, you are cleared into the Bravo. Bingo. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So you remember, I just to, you remember, yeah. um, Episode 400. I do. We took off out of here, out of Hidden River um, for um, St. Augustine. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to get a clearance uh, while airborne. Yep. From Tampa. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave me a, a heading. He says, stand by, fly heading, yada, 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 squawk such and such. And I came back immediately with request of Bravo clearance. Right. I do remember that, and I think that's a great example. Yes. Yeah, um, uh, because even though I was talking to him, and even if I was in the process of negotiating an IFR clearance, um, and, and he literally directed you to enter the Bravo in a manner. He 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 gave me a vector that would have put me in the Bravo in a few more minutes. Yes. Yep. And I requested the Bravo clearance, and he came right back with cleared into the Bravo. And that's simply because I don't remember exactly where we were in relation to the, the Bravo, but A, I was climbing, and B, I was pointed straight at it, so I would have been in it if I'd continued doing mm-hmm. what I was doing. Yeah. And it's not the first time, and it won't be the last, but uh, we uh, controllers um, sometimes get distracted and forget about you or, or get busy with something else, a, a greater urgency. 
and don't get back to you immediately. Right. Right. And unless they say the magic words, unless they say the magic words, doesn't matter. You know, unless I, you know, unless I'd already um, got my clearance and been told radar contact under an IFR flight plan, uh, I would, if I went into that without all those things in my in my uh, ball of tricks, bag of tricks, I would have been violating the Bravo. Right. How does it work? What does it actually look like there at that controller station? So they have those little slips, or maybe they're on screens now, but th- they basically have a little block of data about every flight that they're controlling. Yes? And and is visually, how is the, that block of data different for a flight that is on an IFR plan versus a flight that is just under flight following? Is it possible that the controller kind of wasn't totally aware that this was a flight following flight? I'm talking about the YouTube video now. Um, and, you know, is it really obvious to the controller? They should know because they're skilled and they're smart and they do this all the time. But is it not readily apparent from from the strip whether or not it's it's flight IFR versus because if you're IFR you don't have to get explicitly cleared right if if you're IFR and directed along a course that busts the Bravo you're okay it's only because he was on flight following do you guys know well, I don't I don't know what the workstations look like anymore because of the star system you know, the standard terminal right. automation but <laughs> do the strips have some sort of big label on them that says flight following IFR flight plan you know. Not that I know of. There's a couple of things that you're, you're that would be a clue just looking at the scope itself. Uh, one would be um, the squat code. If it's a local squat code, it's going to start with a zero. Oh, the squat code is coded. Oh, okay. okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So uh, a squat code that starts with any other digit applied to a, a GA airplane is is likely going to be either IFR or uh, is going to be in the larger system as opposed to the local system mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and the central computer, host computer, whatever they call it these days, has, has generated a, a not, basically a flight plan, a flight plan route. It's not really an IFR flight plan or an IFR clearance, but it will know what the airplane is, what type it is, uh, and where it is and where it's going and what route it's going to take. And then you'll get a full four-digit what I call a full four-digit squat code, you'll be, quote, in the system, unquote, and there'll be a strip, right. et cetera. I don't know how the strips are coded. There might be some other coding in the, well, the radar target that denotes a VFR aircraft versus an IFR aircraft. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But if the if the, if the the squat codes are are distinctive like that, that's that, that would be a good clue. I, I, yeah. I can imagine now, that being well, the I mean, case. Well, that's... That's not a full and complete answer to the question of looking at a squat or looking at a radar target, whether you can immediately determine if the if the target is IFR or VFR. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so. a way to tell, not yeah. the only Anyways. way. Um, okay. The other, the only other question I have is is I don't know I haven't seen this video and I'm not going to go find it, but I wonder if um, somewhere along the line the pilot had requested and received a Bravo clearance before that, or I, this video or, or something like that was cut out. I don't know. Sure. No, and, and I was going to mention that as my closing thing here. Yes, I think that that's a very, very real possibility. Um, so this video did not include every minute of the flight. He did. He cut out lots of parts for, for pacing and, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it is, and it is very, very possible that um, the moment when he received his Bravo clearance, he got cut out, and that we just didn't hear it. And that when, when the when the pilot 
said to the camera, I- I've been, I'm, I've been talking to ATC, so I'm cleared. Yeah. That may have been what he meant. Um, yeah, is he that I got my clearance? I got my clearance a few minutes ago. I, you know, and and you know, at the time he was saying it in the airplane, he didn't realize that he was going to cut it out, or he didn't. Whatever he might have, we might not have heard it. I, I absolutely hold open that possibility. So, uh, anyways, all right. Well, that's all. Okay, I think we've reached the end of our allotted time here. Uh, make sure you get those Bravo clearances and uh, look out for police drones. And uh, let's see. And whatever you do, avoid caught it. <clears throat> avoid causing a sonic boom. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I listened to a podcast. I listened to a computer podcast where he, they 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 kind of half jokingly say, "And you're going to learn five new things on this episode." Every episode, they say, "You're going to learn five new things." And so I'm thinking, what are the five things we learned here? And that's maybe that's three of them. I mean, maybe we have to stick to three. Anyways, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Yep, it's always fun thank you. Get, getting together with you. Uh, that's Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com, and his magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. You can also find Jeb's and his work at aea.net and avweb.com. On Twitter, Jeb is Burnside J. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. You can find his work online at avbuyer.com, aea.net, and on Twitter, he is Real Higdon. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most of most places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter, slash Jack Hodgson, YouTube, Jack Hodgson, Patreon, Jack Hodgson. You can find my eBooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section, and you can sign up for the Around the Field news, email newsletter at aroundthefield.net. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Well, no one will get any older if you don't fly because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So fire it up. <laughs> that's okay. I'm never sure sometimes when you're not, when you're done, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember a landing light is not what you do after burning off most of the fuel. <laughs> oh my God.